has this series been helpful for y'all? Yes. Understanding the Holy Spirit and that He's the gift that keeps on giving. We're, we're building up to not only to Christmas, but the end of the year. Uh, we're, we're slowly doing baby steps to help everybody understand who the Holy Spirit really is, who He's not, uh, and what some terminology really is, what it's not. And so, you know, there's, there's Urban Dictionary, there's, uh, there's Biblical culture dictionary, you know, there's, there's historic dictionary, but then there's the Bible who defines the Bible and translates the Bible, and that's the place we want to land in everything that we do. So no matter what, we're going to let the, the Bible dictate, translate, interpret itself, and let the Bible be the judge of what the Word of God says. So we're talking today, we talked about who is he, and we talked about uh, he is a person. Is he a person? And we established that he's good. He established that it's not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He is not an it. And if we think that, then we'll never establish a personal relationship with him. And that's what he wants. He wants a personal relationship with each one of you. And someone once said, well, he's not answering my prayers because he's out helping other people. He can help everybody at the same time, so please don't think that the Holy Spirit's not listening to you. He's, his timing is perfect. I always believe that. And so he wants a personal, intimate relationship with you. But what are these things we've heard of? Pentecostal and charismatic. Is the Holy Spirit Pentecostal or is he charismatic? Is, was Jesus Pentecostal or was he charismatic? So who is he? Now, we know that John was a Baptist. <laughs> John the Baptist. Now we, and we believe in what? John the Baptist is in the book of, you know, so it's in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, John the Baptist was the guy who was introducing Jesus. It's a joke. So we believe in water baptism. We believe in water baptism, but we're not a part of the Baptist denomination. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but we're not a part of the Pentecostal denomination. And this just comes to mind, we don't have a whole lot of instruments playing up here, but we're not a part of Church of Christ either. And so I just want, I want you to know that. Merle, thank you so much for helping us work, navigate through that this weekend. So, <laughs> so, uh, so when it comes to what is the definition, what does that even mean? What does that look like? So if you're thinking that Pentecostal is this term where women can't wear makeup, they have to wear long dresses, no pants, and they have to put a bun on their head. No, I don't think that that's, Jesus was that Pentecostal, and no, we're not that Pentecostal, okay? Uh, but if you are thinking the defini by definition of Pentecostal, do we believe that Acts 2 was the biblical fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost? Then yes, I believe Jesus was Pentecostal, and I believe that we would be Pentecostal under that terminology. If you believe, or if you're asking, if we believe in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, if you're asking, uh, do we believe that the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit are for today, if you're asking, if we believe that we need the Holy Spirit's empowerment to live this life according to Christ, then yes. If that's the question of, is that Pentecostal, then yes. We believe Jesus was Pentecostal, and we are too. What does, what does Pentecost even mean, though? That's the big question, number one. Acts 2.1 says this, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Not a Honda. <laughs> Acts 2.2 says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven 
as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse 3, then there appeared to them divided tongues, I'll explain that later, divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. Acts 2, 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, Pentecost is one of three major feasts. There's seven major feasts in the Jewish culture. And these feasts would fall on the first, the third, and the seventh months of the Jewish calendar. So Passover, these feasts were Passover, which encompassed the unleavened bread. It would encompass the first fruits. And then there would be Pentecost. That's in the spring. Then there would be the tabernacles, which included the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and then, of course, the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. So there's seven, seven in all feasts. Now, we're going to talk later, later, probably in 2020, I'll explain how important each one of these feasts are and what they mean to us on the New Covenant, new side of thing, the New Covenant side of things, and what they mean today. But we need to know that everything Jesus did of major significance and world change happened on one of God's feasts. In fact, Pentecost, again, was one of God's feast times. Uh, so Jesus was Passover. I don't, I mean, I don't, I'm going to hold off on this a minute. So we have these uh, negative connotations a lot of times, but the day of Pentecost was about celebrating the giving of the law. It was about celebrating the, the giving of the law. Now, the first Pentecost that we know of followed the Passover. The Passover actually took place Jesus was not the first Passover. And by the way, he was the Passover lamb. First Passover took place as God was trying to remove his people from Egypt from the, the dictatorship of Pharaoh, but he wouldn't. And so God said, I'm going to send an angel, a death angel, over the people. And he told the Hebrew people to take a lamb. Every, every family, take a lamb, kill it, and sp spread the blood over the top of the doorway, over the threshold. And so over the top of the door and in the sides. So then when the death angel would pass over, it would pass over every home that the blood of a lamb was over. So those families were safe. Now, the Egyptians didn't know that secret because they weren't following God. And so something else happened to them. They got some of their kids got wiped out. People got wiped out. So that was the Passover, the first, the first Passover that took place. Now, Jesus was the Passover lamb, about 1,500 years later. Jesus was the Passover lamb. There was a Pentecost that took place, and that was the giving of the law. That was when Moses was at the top of the mountain, and I'll explain that in a minute. But Pentecost literally means, pente means five. Like the Pentagon, Washington, we have a Pentagon uh, our, our government, rather, has a pentagon, and it's called, gone is, is sides, so it has five sides. Pente means five. Cost means to the tenth power. So literally, if you've ever had a negative connotation about the word Pentecost or Pentecostal, you're really just afraid of 50. That's it. I mean, some of us, whenever you're getting close to the age of 50, you're starting to get afraid of 50. <laughs> and that's, that's understandable. That's reasonable, right? Yeah. But anything outside of that is like, why am I scared of a number? It's not my favorite number, but I don't have to be scared of it. Who, who grew up, growing up in kid, as a kid in elementary had a favorite number? Nobody. Who still has a favorite number? 
Now, see, so, so you still have the kid in heart. Good. You have a childlike faith. So you have that child inside of you. But Pentecost just means 50. 50. So it was also the Feast of Weeks or the Week of Weeks. There was literally seven weeks within the feast. That's, that's Pentecost. Let me explain that to you. Jesus, remember, was on the earth 40 days. He resurrected, then he came back in his resurrected spiritual body, and he was walking the earth for 40 days. Now, he was, there was another 10 days where he told the disciples, he told the people, everybody who's following him, go to the city, stay in the city, and wait for something. Wait for something. So they did. Forty days he was walking, ten days he had them pray, there was fifty days. There was something that happened, Pentecost happened on the fiftieth day. Now how do we know when Pentecost is? Let me explain to you, God gave us clear direction on when Pentecost is. That's how we know every year, even now. Leviticus 23.15 says this, And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. Now, now that, remember, is part of the feast. That's a first fruits. So they would come in, wave as a wave offering. It's like when you come in and you bring your tithes or you bring your first fruits of the first, you bring of the first of every, all of your increase, you would bring in the first. And one person says, yeah, you wave it goodbye. <laughs> so you <laughs> wave it goodbye. Throw it, throw, it, throw it in. But they would leave it at the temple as the first fruits. What that was was that was at the beginning of a harvest season. And then they would be declaring, Lord, I trust you, because this is what you do with your tithe. Lord, I trust you with the first, and I'm trusting that you're going to follow through, and you're going to come through in a major way with the rest. Well, that, would, that, that moment, the waving of the sheaf offering, that would be the first fruits. They would wave that at the beginning, before the harvest would come, trusting God that he would bring a great harvest. Okay? You, you need to know that, because after that, there's something else that happens. So... You brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed, okay? So it's the first day after the Sabbath, then there shall be seven Sabbaths completed, and then the day following would be Pentecost. This is what he's saying. Then count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Seven plus seven is 49. Very good. The seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering unto the Lord. And so there will be another offering. And this, the way Jesus, or, the way God the Father orchestrated this was perfected, with perfection. He is the God of perfection. Now, Passover could fall on any day, and it does. Monday, could be Tuesday, could be Wednesday, could be, could be any day. It just happened to be when Jesus was the Passover lamb, it fell on Friday intentionally, this has been planned since eternity began, then there would be a Sabbath, Saturday evening, sundown to sun up, to the next day rather, that would be a Sabbath, and then the counting of the 50 would start. That's when Jesus was resurrected. So Jesus was resurrected, the first fruits of many to come. You see the beauty, the beauty in all the feasts? He was the Passover lamb. He died on Passover. He is the first fruits of many to come. He was raised on the day of first fruits. Then there were, he, said, he walked the earth for 40 days. Then after 40 days, he ascended and he told the disciples to wait in the city for something. 50 days. So it was exactly 50 days. So 
It was the 50th day after the resurrection. It was perfection set up by God. On that day is when the Holy Spirit fell. Remember the upper room, 120 were in the upper room, and they were doing what the Lord said, and they were praying, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. It was the celebration, the Pentecost, that is the celebration of the harvest, the beginning harvest. So Pentecost is a celebration of a harvest that's actually about to begin. You've got to notice he used natural things to bring an awareness to natural people so that he could show them supernatural things so that he could speak to the supernatural individual that's inside of you. He wanted to speak to your spirit. So you did a first fruit, a sheaf offering. You waved it up. I'm trusting you that there's going to be abundant harvest. On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell and the harvest began. What happened? 3,000 were saved that day and hundreds the days to follow. Beautiful. So what happened at Pentecost? And there were, Acts 2, 5 says this, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men. I underline, the, I, I underline this in mind because you've got to see it. Devout men. There's something about that. The 120 that were up in the upper room, they were devout, meaning they were totally committed to something. They were completely sold out. They were in complete yield and complete surrender and complete obedience. And they say, it's not about me. It's all about you. And whatever it is that you say, I need to be waiting here for, I'm here to receive it. And I'm surrendering my will for your will. I'm devout. We got to get that with devout men from every nation and that men and women from every nation under heaven. Acts 2 6 says this, and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speaking in his own language. Notice they got confused like, what in the world is going on? There's a mighty rushing wind that came in. The multitude came together and then they were confused because now I can hear people that I didn't understand before in my language what is happening. Do you remember the Tower of Babel? Do you remember what took place in the Tower of Babel? It's in Genesis 11. They were together, united as one front, and they could understand each other. And then God came in, and he mixed up their language, and he dispersed them, and they could no longer understand each other. They were unable to understand anything that was going on. Now, that was when God said, if, any, if man do anything, put their mind to anything, and they unite to anything for the common purpose, there's nothing that they can't accomplish. There's a reason that he scattered them, but there's also a reason that he began to do it his way here at Pentecost. Because at Pentecost, they came together, and they had been divided. They didn't know what was what. Jesus was causing this rebellion and this different relationship-style faith And he was messing the world up. You had people from every nation coming who couldn't understand each other, so they were divided. They were confused. Remember it said in Acts 2.6 that they were confused. What is going on? And then God did a miracle, and they were able to understand each other all of a sudden. Isn't that interesting? Now, the building of Babel was an act of rebellion and pride. But what took place at Pentecost was was an an act of submission and humility. That's why, God, that's why God scattered them and confused them, because they were doing it on their own. They were doing it on their own pride, their own rebellion. They were trying to do it their own way. 
But when at Pentecost, they were saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do it your way, and I'm going to wait for that thing that you said for me to wait for, and I'm surrendered, and I'm humble, and then the Holy Spirit came. And then he brought unity to a divided people. It's beautiful. Pentecost is the blessed reversal of the cursed judgment at Babel. God's judgment at Babel scattered the people, but God's blessings at Pentecost united them on one front in the Spirit. Every tongue and tribe was praising God, and that's exactly what heaven is going to look like. Every person that you don't like right now, that looks different than you, that knows the Lord and is in the Lord, is going to be praising God right beside you in heaven, and God has blessed you with them right here on earth to challenge your heart, to see, are you going to do it my way, or are you going to do it your way? Because rebellion, he confuses and he scattered. Pride, he can't, he can't stand. He'll confuse and, and scatter, but humility and surrender, he'll bring into unity. And he'll cause you to understand one another when before you couldn't understand one another. Even in marriages, when husband and wife couldn't understand each other, once they get yielded and submitted to the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, oh, and that's a miracle to understand a woman. (laughs) Altar call, bring up the worship team, let's just pray. (laughs) So when the law was given on Mount Sinai, when the law was given on Mount Sinai, Moses had gone up. The people were all distraught because they brought out of Egypt. The Passover had taken place. This is 50 days after. It's Pentecost. They don't know what to do because they're used to being in bondage and having someone lord over them. And so God had raised up Moses to help bring them out of bondage. And now, remember, he had to get the bondage out of them. And so he goes up to Mount Sinai. And what happens? The Holy Spirit, a cloud, descended, and there was loud noise and fire. Well, God began to write his law on the tablets of stone. Well, down below, y'all have seen Robert Redford and the Ten Commandments. I know you have. At least once a year, Charles Har- is Charles ha- Char- Charlton Heston. Thank you so much. Even older, Charlton Heston. He is not Moses. You would think, many of you think he is Moses. You're going to, you know, you probably think he is Moses. He's not Moses. He's not the real Moses. He did not play himself in a movie. Didn't take place. But what's happening down below at the bottom of the mountain, it's the same in the Bible. They're down there committing adultery. They're down there forming false idols. They're talking to Aaron saying, I don't know when he's coming back or if he's coming back. All I can see is thunder, a cloud, and some fire going on up there. And so now they start to lose heart. What do they do? They go to rebellion and pride. They want to do it their own way instead of waiting for the Lord. So what happens? 3,000 people die that day. There was no way they could keep the law. And that's what God was kind of trying to work out of them was this sense of humility and surrender because they had been lorded over for years, decades, and told what to do. But he's trying to work something out of their hearts so that he could work himself into them. He was trying to work a faith through relationship, and so he had to use some standards, some principles, some rules to get them there so that they could realize, I can't do this. Now, when the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost... Same day, 1,500 years later, Holy Spirit come. well, 1530, something like that. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, they were gathered as one, just like they were in Mount Sinai. They were gathered as one. 
the Holy Spirit descended, there was a loud noise, and there was fire. God began to write His law on the tablets of men's heart rather than stone, the flesh. He was writing His law on flesh then. Then what happened? 3,000 people were saved. It's really good. That was the beginning of a new harvest. And then daily they were meeting in homes and in the temple and People were getting saved, and God was adding to the church daily. That sounds like a good spiritual harvest right there. It's not really about the wheat that we are waving around. It's about the spiritual harvest. So 3,000 people were saved. The Holy Spirit poured out himself again in our country, what we know, our knowledge, 1900s. Uh, He did this very similar thing like he did at at the first Pentecost after Jesus was resurrected. And then he began to revive his language and his power and release his gifts here in America. Now, faith began with a relationship towards God. That was God's intention, that we have a relationship towards God. Then you and I, unless you're a Jew, you and I were grafted in by relationship with Jesus Christ. After Jesus Christ passed, some generations, not many generations after that, religion, the Romans brought in religion into the Christian faith that was supposed to be on relationship, and religion began from that place on. Now, the Holy Spirit now, not only did he revive his language and his power and his presence in 1900s in America, Now he's in the process of restoring faith by relationship, getting rid of the religion that causes pain and hurt. This is good. This is really, really good. In our generation, he's restoring this. The Holy Spirit is empowering us to to walk in God's righteous standards. We can't do it on our own. But with the power of the Holy Spirit... He can do it through us and move us to walk according to His righteous standards. Now, remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Nathan, you talk about I am righteous. And, and, and God the Father, or the Holy Spirit rather, is convicting me of righteousness. Yes, in Christ Jesus, you have been stamped, sealed, and declared righteous because of Jesus. But we need the empowerment and the, of the Holy Spirit so that we can live righteously. There's a difference. I'm declared by position righteous because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me, and I have made him my Savior because I have surrendered my will to his will. No longer will I do it like Babel did. I'll do it his way, and I'll surrender. Now, I'm, re- I'm declared righteous in that. Now, I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to empower me so that I can actually live up to the standards of God's Word. I can live up to what he declares over me when I'm sinning. That's not who you are. Here's who you are. You are love. You are joy. You are peace. You are patience. You are forgiveness. You are generosity. You are. I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live up to that. And I can't do it in my own efforts. Works is not the way. Efforts is not the way. It's yielding, submission, and surrender and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you. That's really good stuff. The Holy Spirit comes to empower us to live righteously. Now, number three, can I experience Pentecost? Well, let's look to see what the Bible says. Acts 2, 3 says this, Then there appeared to them divided tongues. I want you to look at this word divided. Look at the word de- divid. This is where we get the word individual. 
Then there appeared to them individual, David, individual, individual tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. So each one of you would have a tongue of fire over your head, right? Got to get this picture. I'm going to show you an illustration in a minute. Acts 2.4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Now this word tongue just is the word glossa. That's where we get our word glossary. It means language. It's not scary. We see the word tongues and we're thinking, I had some charismatic, charismatic friends, and they would say, yeah, we were out there, we were up in the upper room tonguing one time, and I'm like, you were doing what? <laughs> yeah, we were at Christ for the Nations, and we were just tonguing. Back in my day, tonguing was something different. <clears throat> I'm like, yeah, I've done, I've done a lot of tonguing. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, we were praying in the Spirit. Oh! Oh, okay. That's different than what I was talking about. But <laughs> if you're under 18, I didn't say that. They <laughs> spoke with other language as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, look at this. I'm going I'm to give you, I'm studying this with my daughter as she goes to bed. Uh, we do the version Bible. This is what it looked. Look, they're in the 120 in the upper room, men and women, and they had a tongue of fire over their head. And so what would happen was, I could see your fire. I could see your tongue of fire. I could see that over your head. But when I try to look at mine, I couldn't see it. It was just, just always over my head, right? And so how would I know it was there? Well, I have to believe by faith because there's a tongue of fire over your head that there's also a tongue of fire over my head. Now, how do we receive salvation through Jesus Christ? By faith. And how do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? By faith. So I have to, re I have to believe by faith that God also has a tongue of fire for me in the same way he does by you. He does for you. This wasn't, there wasn't just 12 apostles there. This wasn't just for the 12. There was 120. And then Peter takes it even further from that. And look at Acts 1-4. I'm going to get there. But Acts 1-4 says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for, here's the thing he told them to wait for, the promise. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me. Now look, Jesus is about to tell us in the next statement what the promise of the Father is. We're going to let the, the Bible interpret the Bible. We're going to let Jesus decide what he's saying. Wait for the promise. Acts 1.5 says, Then for John truly baptized, remember the Baptist, baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus is telling them, wait for the promise from the Father, then he explains to them exactly what the promise is, and that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a promise waiting for you. Look at this. Acts 2.38 says, Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive this very same promise as Jesus told the disciples. You shall receive the gift 
of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, and Paul, I'm sorry, Peter is reiterating, repent for the remission of sins, be baptized in water, sorry, for the name of Jesus Christ, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift, the baptism, the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. Look at this, Acts 2.39. For the promise, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, is to you and to your children. It's for your generation and the next generation and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now get this, you're from East Texas, you'll get it. So there was a far over their head. (laughs) And if it was for all who are afar off. <laughs> Anybody ever been to a far party? We got a little bond far, afar out there. This promise was not just for them. It was for them. It was for the generation to come, their children. And then it was for every generation that was afar off. Uh, who is afar off? Who has been afar off from Jesus Christ? I know I have been afar off from Jesus Christ. Now, not only were we far off from Jesus Christ before we made him Lord, before we accepted him and declared him Lord of my life, but we are afar off from the generations of when this first took place. So we are the afar off, and the generations to follow will continue the afar off, and the same promise remains in the same way it did that day. Jesus is saying so. That's us. So you can experience being saved, right? You can experience water baptism, correct? Yes. Why can't you experience the spirit baptism? Why not? Look at, look at this. Is he charismatic? We decided, yeah, I think maybe he's Pentecostal. Maybe I'm a little bit more Pentecostal than I realized. <laughs> And I don't have to put my hair in a bun, and I don't have to wear extremely plain clothes, and I don't have to look, you know, whatever it is that you think Pentecostal actually means, now under the definition of what Scripture says, okay, maybe I am Pentecostal, but am I charismatic? He, is he charismatic? First, First Corinthians 12, First Corinthians 12, we find all these things about great, the, the gifts. So what does charismatic even mean? What? Because we want to take away the fear and misconceptions from all of these. Who is someone who is charismatic? You hear somebody, oh, they're very charismatic. What does that mean? Oftentimes it means that maybe they're gifted or they're able to really move people towards a common purpose. They, they have a lot of vision or they're, they're, they can connect well with others. And so we might say, oh, they're, they're charismatic. Well, this word actually is charisma or charismata. It's a Greek word and it means grace gift. Look at this. I want to give you a definition of charisma. Charisma is the instantaneous enablement of the Holy Spirit in the life of any believer to exercise a gift for the edification of others. It's a supernatural enablement, an empowerment. Charis just means grace. Ma or mata means gift, means grace, gift. In fact, if you understand that, you'll realize in Christ we're all charismatic. You've all been gifted by grace, not only Jesus, but he sealed on the day that you received Christ, he sealed the promise to be, he sealed the Holy Spirit inside of you 
but he's waiting for that seed to bear fruit so that he can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So your charis, mata, you have a grace gift locked inside of you, and your grace gift that Jesus has accepted you and received you as a, as a son, as a savior. You're now, he is now your savior. That's beautiful. So I'm, I'm charismatic. Jesus was charismatic. You're gifted by grace. And 1 Corinthians 12.1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, that's where we get this word. Or that word is actually Greek, uh, pneumaticos. Pneumaticos. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now in here, ignorant doesn't mean stupid. You think somebody calls you ignorant, oh, you're so ignorant. You're thinking, well, they just called me stupid. No, it's a lack of knowledge. It's, it's you have been unlearned on a certain subject or a certain thing. You're you're ignorant about this area, and it doesn't mean you're stupid by far. And this is what Paul was saying. He's like, about pneumaticos, about spiritual gifts, listen, I don't want you to be untaught and unaware of these things because you need to know a lot about this stuff. I need, you, I need you to really get this because there was a lot of questions. They wrote to him, and they wrote to him before, and that's why he's answering in 1 Corinthians 5, or 1 Corinthians, rather. So in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, we see he is responding six times. He says, now concerning this, now concerning this, now concerning this, which tells us that 1 Corinthians was actually a second letter to the Corinthian church. He had previously written another letter. I guess it wasn't good enough to make the Bible. And so they, they responded back to him, and they had a lot of questions. And he says, okay, I can see you got a lot of questions about the, the, spirit, the gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit. Now let me write back to you, and so that's where we get this, first, this, book, this book called 1 Corinthians. Now, now concerning spiritual gifts, pneumaticos. Now concerning pneumaticos. Pneumaticos just means empowered by breath or wind. That's all it means. Who has a, a, a you've had a pneumatic drill? You've heard of these things. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a power drill. It's empowered by air. How does it work? It works off of air. That's where we get this word. Where word comes from pneuma, air, breath, wind, spirit. That's the word for the Holy Spirit is pneuma, pneumaticos. So let me rephrase all of this, this, this verse right here. Now concerning spiritual gifts that you can only move in if the Holy Spirit empowers you. The only way you're going to be able to move in these spiritual gifts that you're ignorant about, you're unlearned, because you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit empowering you to move in them. But when you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit and when the spiritual gifts start to flow and you no longer are ignorant because you begin to pay attention and become mindful of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you, through you, and around you, all of a sudden, now you become more aware of what He wants to do rather than what I'm doing and I desire to do. Remember Babel? Because at Pentecost, He set a different line. He set a different plumb line for us to follow. So, he wants to teach you, but you need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to teach you about the spiritual gifts, and you need the Word of God as well. So, there's, people are confused even now about spiritual gifts and how they function. I'm not going to explain them this week, but I will soon. There's, they're, to me, they're broken into four groups. You have the manifestation gifts, that's 1 Corinthians 12. You have the motivation gifts, that's Romans 12. You have the ministry gifts, 1 Corinthians 14. And then you have like the office or the equipping gifts or ministerial, ministerial gifts, that's in Ephesians 4. 
We'll explain those a little bit later. But 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. We need the empowerment. We need to no longer be ignorant about this because we need it. It's for the edification and the building up of each other. We need to be very mindful. We need to be very educated on the, on the Holy Spirit and His gifts because we need to be profited by that. We need to gain by it. The body of Christ needs to no longer be impotent according to its own pow- the power that we do have because we, we've got to invest some time in understanding the Holy Spirit and His gifts. We have to become more mindful. Verse 8 says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Verse 9 to another the faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now these gifts all belong to the Holy Spirit. They are all his. We don't own a gift. We are gifted as the Holy Spirit wills. I do believe some are, have a little bit more grace because they become more aware of the gift or gifts that the Holy Spirit is using them in certain situations. What happens is, because of not wanting to be ignorant and wanting to pursue, they spend devotion time, their devout, devoted time, into those gifts because they've been used for those gifts by the Holy Spirit, and the grace is increased so they become more aware of how that gift works. Okay, Paul was obviously one of those people. So, I do believe, though, if we are led and submitted to the Holy Spirit, that in any and every situation, as a situation is necessary and deems itself necessary, God will give through by way of the Holy Spirit, any, Holy, any, any spiritual gift that is needed in that moment. So you, you don't just have a gift. You've got the gift giver who can use you and give you any gift he sees necessary as long as you're mindful and aware of what he's doing and what he wants to do to bring profit, edification to his body or that individual or lead them unto him. And that means Jesus Christ. So I don't have a gift, but I will move in the gifts whenever the Holy Spirit deems necessary. But I need to be mindful of what he's saying and what he's doing, and so that requires devotion from me and being attentive to what his Spirit is doing in the room. So the Holy Spirit desires to use every one of us, and we have to be willing to be submitted and yielding in humility to him. Acts 2.39, remember, says, For the promise is to you and your children, and to our, all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God, our God, will call. Thank the Lord that He called us. Yes. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit baptism, the gifts of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit, as well as the power of the Holy Spirit, they are all promised. They're all promised but you have to receive it. You have to choose to receive. It's like being a parent or being a friend and you take the time to wrap a Christmas gift and you put it under the tree 
and your child or your friend opens every other gift except for the one that you gave them. And your thoughts are, what's wrong with the gift that I gave? What did I not do right? Why aren't they receiving the gift that I put time and effort and I wrapped and I spent emotional time developing just for that person? And that's what the Holy Spirit does with us. What's wrong with my gift? What's wrong with, why aren't they receiving me? Why aren't you receiving the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I want to ask you to close your eyes. And the one question is, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I think we broke down the walls of Pentecostal and Charismatic. I think we realized what Scripture says. And that Jesus says that the promise is for us. We've been afar off. But now we're His. And He has a gift for us. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to just do a work in your heart this week to help you, to prepare you in receiving the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is promised to each one of us and our children and to all who are afar off. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you do a work. And as we get busy with parties, with work, with trials, with stressors, with everything that this week entails that you're already fully aware of, Holy Spirit, I ask that you penetrate the moments and that you take those tablets of stone and begin to make them tablets of flesh of the heart yet again. Father, I pray that you prepare your people with this gift to receive, Lord, with your love just to receive, Father, Pray that you strengthen them in humility. Clothe them with surrender. And Father, I just pray that you help them to be prepared ground in the weeks to come to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit or a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And in a moment, there, our prayer team's going to be up here, and there's going to be people up here that are filled with the Holy Spirit who are desiring to pray with you over whatever need, whatever doubt, whatever problem, whatever issue, whatever struggle that you may be having. having. After worship, they're going to be for, up here. Please don't leave here without having received prayer because you know if you've come in needing prayer today. Let's just stand up and let's, let's worship God because He's a good, good God.